up the book of Acts, and we'll continue on our, our messages on there. So let's pray for a little while and about some of the needs of our church. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you again that we can be in your house, and as I have said for many weeks, it just seems like a day goes by and we're here again, but it's been a whole week. And it seems like the year just began, and we're nearing the halfway point of the third month, and the time flies by. And Father, it is, it is appropriate for us to ask, what do we do with our time? Are we being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we spreading the word of his kingdom? What does our days look like? So Father, I am grateful for this church, and I'm grateful for the hands that prepared those uh, distribution bags the ladies that got together, and Father, we would ask, I would ask that those bags would go out with your power, with your mercy and your compassion, with the message of Jesus Christ, and we don't know whose lives they're going to touch, but Father, you do, and we ask that you would be very much in it, that you would be with those articles as they go, and people would, would understand that this church is about loving other people and caring for other people and having a servant attitude for those in the community. So, Father, I thank you for the ladies that did those work and that did that work. And, Father, I'd also pray for Brian, uh, Mike's son, as he is his his health is compromised right now, and he is uh, on the cusp of having to take dialysis. Father, we would ask that you would provide a pancreas for him, and that's a nervous thing to request because someone else is going to have to die. So, Father, in your kind and compassionate providence, we ask that you'd work through that somehow that he would be provided something that he really needs to survive. But Father, you know all the nuances of that, and we certainly are not going to be up here and pray that someone dies, but we do ask that in your miraculous way that you would provide for Brian's needs. Father, we pray for Marie Bonson as she is ill, and pray for Kim as she watches this whole thing unfold, and they have a, a good and lasting friendship, so we ask that you'd be very much in that relationship and in, with her health that you would give her a peace as she travels through this journey. For Money Mayberry, as she's in a care facility, we just pray that you would heal her and allow her to, to go home or at least to get out where other people can visit her one-on-one. -on -one. Father, we pray for the brother-in-law of Rose and the, the difficulties and the health issues that he has. And Father, you would be in, in that as well. You would heal and comfort these people as they need. Father, it gets very complex being up here and praying for all these people and the, the, the diversity of needs is broad and wide and deep. And to keep them all straight, just to pray for them is difficult, but we have a Holy Spirit that can petition the throne of grace. And when we don't have words to speak adequately about our need, the Holy Spirit is there to intercede on our behalf, and we thank you for that, and we ask that the Holy Spirit would and provide for these, these starkly different needs in our community. Father, we ask that you would be very near to these people. We thank you for this group that's able to get together again and sing praises to you. And Father, we are grateful that we can be together as a church, and we can converse and talk, and we can just have community so we thank you for the, the health of this church and how well it's doing, and we ask that as the word goes out this morning, that it would go out with power and clarity, that you would be with, uh, before we leave the people with needs, we ask for, for John and Kathy as they are having a, a different journey as well, and from day to day they 
they wake up with a whole different mindset. And Father, we ask that you'd continue to prolong the health of John. And we ask that if this is going to be cancer, that it would be very slow-growing cancer, that he could be with us and have health for uh, much longer. Father, we know that you can do this, and we'd ask that you do these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you can open up your Bibles, we're going to be looking at chapter 14 of Acts. Chapter 14 of Acts. And I'm going to, I'm going to read the first seven verses so we can kind of have that in the back of our minds. We can, and then as we, we go along in the message, we'll read a few more verses and kind of keep us ahead. So if you'd look at Acts chapter 14, and there's our map. And to get those of you up to speed again, we, uh, we have been talking about... Antioch right here and if you go down here a ways about right here is Jerusalem so the church started in Jerusalem it was spread from from Jerusalem it went from Judea Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth Acts 1 verse 8 so we have Jerusalem down here we have the first church in well the, the outside of Jerusalem it was at Antioch and that is where Christians were first called Christians was in the town of Antioch. In our past messages, we had Paul and Barnabas. They were commissioned and they left and they went to Salamis right here on the island of Cyprus. And they went along the coastline right here and they went to Paphos and there they had a meeting or at least they met the governor of that particular island. And we'll leave out the other parts that all, all happened there. Anyway, Paul just went from Paphos and he went to Perga in the region of Pamphylia in Galatia. And I said last week that the book of Galatians was written on Paul's first missionary journey, and it is Galatians or Galatia. Where we're going to start up now is Paul has just left Antioch of Pisidia, right in this region, and he's going to go over to Iconium. And where we're going to be talking is Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. That is going to be our message for today, right in here, that little bit of area. So that gives you kind of an idea in your head where we've come from, where we're going. Acts chapter 14, verse 1, reads as follows. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went, as usual, into the Jewish synagogue, and there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders, to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Laconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. This morning, this particular passage and what comes after in Acts chapter 14 gives us a picture of the responsibilities of a believer. Now, I could go through this chapter, and I could tell, you know, we could talk about, okay, he went to the synagogue, and he did this and this, and then he went to uh, Leicester and Derby, and he had, he healed a man, and all the stuff that happened. I wanted to take more of a uh, personal application of this passage, 
and I titled the message, The Characteristics of a Discipler. And I want to start with an introduction that says this. When we think of a discipler, oftentimes we look at people like Paul and Barnabas, that they are involved in a mission, or they're involved in missions, or they're a missionary. And oftentimes we say people that go over there, wherever there is, we're not sure where there is, like Fredine will go over there. Not many of us, of anybody, has went with her, and we, we have a vague idea that she's a missionary and she goes on missions, and we give money to missions, and they just do stuff somewhere out there, and usually out there is over the body of water in another continent, but we're not exactly sure what they do, and Paul and Barnabas, we would say, are missionaries. The deal is, nowhere in the Bible is the word mission, missions, plural, or missionary written. It's not anywhere. It is a term that churches have made up to describe something, and if you say missions, we either go, well, it's, it's our mission statement as a church, you say, okay, that, that's missions, or we think of that person, it's like our stepsister or our stepbrother that does stuff over there, and we're not real sure, but they're kind of sort of tied into the church organization, and we're not exactly sure how it works, but we know it's really important. So we got to give to missions, and they got to go do missions, but nowhere in the Bible does it say missions or missionary. It doesn't say that. Uh, when we think of a mission, if you're from California and you say you think of a mission, you'd think of an adobe hut that is in some village that's been there for a whole long time and it's really dusty and musty and it's old and kind of probably dilapidated and has bright colors on it. That's what you'd think when you think of a mission. If you were to think of uh, a church organization, you'd say, well, what is our mission statement? Well, a common mission statement is make disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's kind of a, okay, that's kind of a direction of the church. But then if you think of a mission or a missionary, is there there's some place pouring over books and they're translating the Bible, and they've got a native next to them that's listening to that language, and they're, hopefully they're getting it straight, and they're talking about the doctrine of salvation. But it doesn't have a lot to do with what we do right here. And so a question could be, where did all this come from? Where, where did this concept of missions and missionary come from? Well, it came from Matthew 28, at the very end, the last book of Matthew, at the very end of the passage, Jesus is going to be ascending into heaven, and he says, among other things, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, that would be to Jesus. He goes, therefore, because all authority has been given to Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That is where we get the concept of missions, or a missionary is to go and make disciples. The primary motivating verb in that is make 
disciples. So you need to go and you need to baptize and you need to teach those disciples. So they do. They go over there somewhere. So the, there's only one difficulty is since that term is not in the Bible, missions or missionary, we want to we do what our Savior said in Matthew and he says, go and make disciples. And that's for all of us. So it isn't like if Fredine was here and we talked about missions, we could all go, well, I, need, I can just relax because Fredine is a missionary, and I'm not. There is no special category of a Christian and then a missionary. There, there isn't a special category that way. Is You are a Christian, and anybody that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior has the commission that Jesus said in Matthew is go and make disciples. It is for everybody. So it's not our Paul and Barnabas. It's not for the Fredines. It's not for those that have went to Bible school or to seminary or they're paid on the church staff or they're somehow they're, they're a chaplain or something they're associated or tightly woven into the fabric of a church organization. It is for everybody. Is you are a discipler. And the discipler is someone that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So really, the only question that is left regarding a discipler is how good are you at it? Because you are. You are a discipler, so are you good at it? Or maybe, are you not so good at it? Well, that is to be seen. But the pattern that our Lord set is clear. Go and make disciples. That could be, and this is where I think people get a bit intimidated or they feel a bit beaten down by pastors, is they say, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be a discipler and I'm supposed to be leading people to Christ and, and I don't and I haven't talked to my neighbor and I haven't talked to people, you know, in the county. That isn't the point. The point is you are a discipler if it's a father to a son, a father to a grandson, a mother to a daughter, a mother to a granddaughter. It could be within your family. It can be within your, your, your immediate sphere. This isn't to put a guilt trip on you that well, you ought to pack up your bag and you should go to Acme and you should talk to those sinners down there. That's not the point. The point is, what are you doing with the people that are right around you? They're right there. And I didn't pick out Acme. It could be concrete. <laughs> the, the point is, what are you doing with the people around you. Do you make disciples? Is it something that you do as a course of living or not? So I wanted to talk about, in light of this passage, what are the characteristics of a discipler? Not of a missionary, not of missions, but of a discipler. And the first one is they use their spiritual gifts, or you could say they use their gifts. And I want to give you just a short list of all the gifts that the Bible talks about. These are just some of the, the primary ones, and you can find them in Romans, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4. That's just a short list. They're, they're all over the place. But here's some. You can have the gift of administration, discernment encouraging or exhorting exhorting means 
urgently or strongly encouraging somebody. It's, that, that's, it's kind of like, let's just say, and I'm just going to pick out Jenny just as an example. Yesterday you have, you have all these, these stuff, the tables are filled with this stuff, and, and it's, it's a task to do, and she goes, come on guys, we can do this. We can get this all put together, it'll be great. That's an exhorter. That's what exhorting means, is, is we can do this. You can strongly urge somebody to do it, or you can, you can do this, or you're able to do that. That is what exhorting means, and it is... It has no indicator of age. It can be a really young person. It can be an older person. You could say evangelism, faith, or giving. Hospitality is another one. Knowledge, leadership, serving, mercy, teaching, preaching, or wisdom. There's just a short list of all the gifts that there are out there. And... We see in the Acts passage of Paul and Barnabas, I'll give you just a, just, and I'm not going to detail every one of these, although I could, is we see Paul and Barnabas using their gifts of preaching, teaching, exhorting, administration, and then the gifts of healing. They did that as well. So they have a whole range of gifts that they are utilizing at the time. And this is what I want to say. Some, I, I would hope that all of you would know what your gifting is. But I can boil it down real easy. If you have found your gifting, it's really easy. It's not hard. If you think, I think my gifting is administration, and administration is just rocks your boat, and you're going, this is hard. It's probably not your gifting. If you, if you are gifted in something... It's really easy. It's just kind of like second nature. I remember the very first time, this was years ago, and I was much, much younger, and there was something going on at another church that we were at. It was a church in Bellingham. And they were having a huge get-together. I don't know. I think it was promoting the church. They were going to have an addition, and they were going to be building on all this. And it was a really big deal, and, the, and the, they had a gymnasium. The gymnasium was packed out. It was just packed out, and they wanted me to MC. Never did it before, ever. I hadn't been up in front of that many people. I mean, I'm in Sunday school class, but not MCing. And I went up there, and I just thought, I just did what I thought ought to be done. And I'll never forget, I had an older gentleman come up to me, and he goes, you must do this a lot. I said, actually, this is my first time. He goes, really? This is your first time? And I went, huh, that must be one of my gifts, because I didn't find it hard at all. You just went up there and you just do what needs to be done and it just flowed along real smooth and it was no big deal and people thought that I, I'd done this a lot. I'm like, no, I've never done this before. But don't put me in a nursery. You know, we could have a real problem here. You just you need a lot of duct tape and closets. And <laughs> that was just a joke, okay? <laughs> that is not where you want to put me. And you can think, you go, okay, I can do this and this and this, and it, it's really pretty, it's not hard at all. Okay, that's your gifting. If something is just like, oh, I've got to do that again, I just, oh, do really? Mm, that's probably not it. That is just a good rule of thumb when it comes to gifting. It should be easy. So, where are we? Okay. Effective disciplers. Regarding with gifting, they're not sitting around waiting for God's call. 
They're busy. They're involved with their gifting, doing whatever they're called to do, and they're enjoying it. And if God wishes to enlarge that gifting, well, then that's fine. Then God can do that. The second thing that is a characteristic of a discipler is they need to have courage or power. Courage or power. And I want to point out something. I know in your pew racks you have what's called the Revised Standard Version, RSV Version, and I checked it. So I want, to, I want you to look here at verse, uh, chapter, or the verse 2 of chapter 14. I want to read this for you, and I had never seen this before. It says in verse 2, But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Your RSV version then says, Therefore, Paul and Barnabas spent a bunch of time in this area. My version says, So, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. My point is this. They were, had courage and they had boldness and they stayed in Iconium because of the persecution not in spite of it. That's a big clarification there. Is it says, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. Really? I would think he would say, in spite of this, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. It doesn't say that. And the RSV even says, therefore, and therefore means... Because of what was said before, this is what Paul and Barnabas did. So they had courage and boldness. And if you go down to verse 6, they found out that they might be stoned. And you say, well, they didn't have much courage or boldness. Yeah, they did leave. They did leave. But they came back. And they came back in verse 21. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But they did come back. And I want to skip ahead in chapter 14 to verse 19, to show you the courage and the boldness that Paul had. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They thought he was dead. They were, they, they, he, was, he was so unconscious their impression was he was dead. They basically threw him out of the city. He revives, and I got to tell you, if it was me, I am out of here. Okay? I am going. You can think whatever you want of me. I am out of here. He turns around. He goes back into the city. It says the next day. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. That is a 30-mile walk the day after you got stoned. I would say that, that fits boldness or courage. I would say so. When it comes to you and I, what are we going to do with the gifting that we have? If we have gifting, are you just bold in using those spiritual gifts? That's all it is. is or do you go, well, I'm not even that so sure I should do that. No, you just be bold and do it. We're not talking about healing the leper, healing somebody who's crippled. We're talking about using aggressively and intentionally your spiritual gifts. 
I want to bring this kind of to something that's a little bit more personal. It didn't happen, but what would we as a church do regarding boldness and courage if the state said, churches are closed? We were inches away from that with COVID. They use COVID. Okay, I get that. But it wouldn't take much of a stretch. And they say, for whatever reason, we're closing churches. All the churches. And we will see to it that the churches remain closed for whatever reason the state determines. In Canada, you don't have church. In fact, I was told of one on the, in Ontario or someplace that was fined $80,000. Yeah. Each of the board members were fined. The associate pastor was fined, the pastor was fined, and the church was fined, and it totaled $80,000. And they did, went a GoFundMe page, and they, re, they got a lot of money to help with this. What do we do as a church, I call it when the rubber hits the road, and the state says, for whatever reason, you guys aren't meeting. Are we going to meet? Well, we really have to talk about that. Yeah, I guess we would. I'm not going to be so cavalier as to say we're not going to talk about that. But the point is, we look, at, we look from a distance at a Paul that gets stoned, and he gets up and he walks into the city, and he does all we do. Boy, that guy, he, he, he's a great guy. I'm not a Paul. Oh, they want us to close the church? Okay, we'll close the church. It's something to think about. We weren't very far away from it, and there's no telling if it's going to be coming back. You know as much as I do in regards to that, but anyway, we'll go on. It says in verse 5, it says the city was divided. Some were for Paul, some were against Paul. And what it talks about there is there was a rush to lynching him. Well, they couldn't hang Paul because that was very anti-Jewish. Their way of lynching was stoning. And they were going to stone Paul, and in this area, way up here, in Iconium, that's, that's what we would call the Wild West. That's the new Halem of the region. It's way out there. And none of the sophisticated rules of Rome applied. They kind of just handled it on their own, and they decided that they were going to stone Paul. And Paul takes off, and he goes from Iconium. I did that. I did that one, too. No. Okay, I'm going the wrong way. Would you get it back for me, Steve, since I messed it up? I volunteer, I messed it up. <laughs> Is, uh, I don't know, but I did. Uh, there, was, there was one time, and this is true, there was a, they went from Iconium, he went to Lystra. And the next two things we're going to be talking about are Lystra and Derby. And in Iconium, during excavations, they found a document that the people of Iconium wrote regarding their observations of who Paul was. And it says, this is what the people of Iconium wrote. He was a man small in size, with meeting eyebrows, a rather large nose, bald-headed, bull-legged, Strongly built, full of grace. At times he looked like a man, and at times he had the face of an angel. That's what they wrote about Paul. But whatever they visually saw about him, it was true that he was committed, 
He was very courageous. He was bold. He was incredibly persistent. Frankly, I think he was hard to work with and hard to work for because he didn't take no for an answer. He just pressed on. So the point is, we need to have courage to go after our gifting as a discipler of Jesus Christ. The third thing regarding the characteristics of a discipler is they need to have power. And we could read, and we're going we're gonna to read this passage now, um, chapter 14, starting at verse 8. And they're in Lystra, right here. He went from Iconium, he fled from Iconium because they were going to stone him, and they went to Lystra, and what we're going to be talking about now occurs at that particular city, and it reads in verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth, and he never walked. He listened as Paul listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. We're going to read the rest of it here on the next characteristic. I am not proposing that you or I have the apostolic gift of miracles and healings, but when it comes to characteristics of a discipler, do we believe that the power of God resides in us? Do we believe that God has given us power, we claim it, and we step out in faith? I don't care what one of the gifts it is, but do we go knowing that God goes with us? That's the point. It isn't that we can stand up and we can declare that somebody is healed, because those are very dramatic and am I going to say that those don't occur? They, they certainly could. They certainly could. I don't see them very often. But I see that through prayer, someone can be healed. And even if you are an intercessor, and there are people that that is their gifting, they love to pray. Do they pray or do I pray knowing that the power of God resides in me and he can do exceedingly beyond whatever we could ask or think? That is the, the point regarding the characteristic of a discipler that has power. We're going to go on now to the, um, the, the next one is humility. Do they have humility? And the reason, there's a couple reasons humility is put in there. Is if you have a person that is using their gifts, you have a person that has courage and boldness, and they have power, it would be very easy for that person to become proud is they kind of got the full package. And Paul had the full package. But there's, there's that aspect to being humble, meaning you kind of got it going. You kind of step above everybody else. But I want to read it in another way when we look at verse 11 forward. It says, And when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gate because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostle Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from those worthless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
In the past, he let all nations go on their own, go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. There's a little bit of history here. An interesting tradition that fills in some of the details regarding this whole exchange with the Laconian people is what had happened in their tradition, in the tradition of the, of the people in Lystra, they were a what's called a polytheistic culture. They believed in many gods. Okay? That's what they believed in. And they believed from their history, this didn't actually occur, but they believed it, that there were two gods, Zeus and Hermes. And these two gods had, in years past, sometime in their culture, they had visited them, and they had descended on the town of Lystra, and they had disguised themselves as men. And they wanted to check out the people of Lystra to see if they were true worshipers of Zeus and Hermes. And while they, Zeus and Hermes were disguised as men, <coughs> they went around the town, and they were asking for food and lodging, that no one would give it to them. Hmm. So, Zeus and Hermes continued, and they went through the whole town, and only two people, they were peasants, by the name of Philemon and Bassius, those were the only two in the whole town that, uh, that had, gave them lodging and gave them the best food that they had available in their, in their home. And when Zeus and Hermes realized that these two people were the only two, they became very, very angry. They killed all the people in Lystra, and they took, they took Philemon and Bassius, and they said, you are going to be guardians of a splendid temple. And when these two people died, I'm not so sure why this is going to be a great reward, but when those two people died, what Zeus and Hermes did is they made them into two great, big, tall, living trees. Now, I'm not so sure that would be something that would attract, be attractive to me, but apparently there was something in the tradition that made this attractive to them. At, at, at any rate, they figured... When Paul and Barnabas did what they did, they go, whoa, whoa, we have a second chance. Zeus and Hermes have returned a second time, and we're not going to blow it this time. This time we are going to treat them right, and we're going to treat them as a god should be treated, and we're going to worship them, and we're going to give them wreaths, and we're going to have animal sacrifices to them, and we are going to provide for them in every way that we can. That is how this story came about and why the people responded the way that they did. And make no mistake about it, folks, it, could, it was a temptation that you say, you know, Paul could say, you know something, Barnabas? If we do this right, if we play this thing right, we can set this whole thing up so that the people of Lystra, will, 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 they will be obedient to everything that we say and, and we, can, we can be gods to them, and we'll point them to Jesus Christ, and then they will believe because we tell them to believe, and this whole thing could work out really good. And in the meantime, you know, they could treat us really good as well. 
And the point of this is, is you always, you always, we always do God's work from a vantage point of humility, never from exaltation, never from a position of being exalted. And that is exactly what Paul and Barnabas did, is they said, people don't do this. They saw a lot of scurrying going around. They see the priest of Zeus come out. We see, we see cattle and reeds, and they're not sure what's going on because the people were talking in a foreign language. But once Paul and Barnabas realized what was going on, they said, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to do this. We don't want to do this. We want to do the work of God in God's way, in God's time. And that is just like what Jesus did when he came as a baby. He came as a servant. He came as a humble person. He did not come as an exalted figure that was above everybody else. In fact, we see Jesus even washing the feet of the disciples. I'm going to give you an example that was very similar to this that actually happened in Hawaii that didn't turn out so well. It reads as follows. In Honolulu, there is a wax museum depicting the landing of Captain James Cook of the British Navy on the shores of Hawaii. He was welcomed as the god Lono, and he and his men were given anything and everything. Believe me, that means everything they wanted. They were attended day and night. But strangely, though Captain Cook thought this was wonderful and accepted their worship, one day as they were about to launch their boats and return to their ship, a native who was angry with him for some reason grabbed hold of the captain and without thinking, Captain Cook swung at him and knocked him down. The native retaliated, hitting him with, a, with the head of a club, and the captain groaned. When the natives heard this, one of them cried out, He groans! He is not a god! And they fell on him, and they killed him. And you can see, see the memorial at this site today. Captain Cook thought, yeah, he did this right. This, this can really work out good. This can work out really, really good. There is a temptation that this will... And sometimes, sometimes Satan's best temptation is to lift somebody way up and they go, I kind of got this going. I got the whole church working for me here. And they think I can do no wrong. We'll just work with this for a while. And, and trust me, it's not you guys. <laughs> That, that that is the way it should be, is nobody is lifted up. Nobody is higher than anybody else, is we're all at the foot of the same cross, worshiping the same Savior. It isn't where we have this person's way up there. No, no, no. It isn't that you work it right. You come with an attitude of a servant, with humility, serving others, just like our Savior did. And the, when, after, I mean, I'm stuttering. The characteristics of a good discipler so far is use your gifts, have courage or boldness, have power, have humility, and the last one is have persistence. We looked at verse 19 and 20. That shows persistence. We see that 
Paul, after he was stoned, the next day he went to Derby, which was 30 miles away. And if we were to take the whole of Paul's missionary journeys, his first, his second, and his third missionary journey, he would have traveled around nautical miles. This is nautical miles. 13,400 miles is what he would have traveled. We see him going all over the place. And if you were to take the routes that he took that were longer than what they had to be, and the word for that, longer than they had to be, is a circuitous route. A circuitous route means I want to go to Bellingham, but I first I went up to Sumas, and then I went to Van Zant, and then I came around the backside of Acme, and then I, I came in. That's a circuitous route. <coughs> if we would take the route that Paul actually took, it would be much larger than 13,400 miles that he walked. Folks, that's persistent. He kept at it. He, had, he was shipwrecked, he was stoned, he was scourged, and it went on and on and on and on. And he was in danger for his life many times, and it didn't matter. He kept on. Can that be said about us? Or, as some writers have put, when the first bit of pressure comes, we fold up our tent and we move on. What does it look like? As a discipler, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a discipler. Now the question is, what kind of a discipler are you? And we've given some characteristics of what that looks like. God wanted to test Paul to see if he had what it took to go on his second and third missionary journey where he would be going to Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Athens, and eventually he would be going to Rome. So he gave him a bit of a test of what it would look like on his first missionary journey, and some of the characteristics of a discipler that he exhibited would be good for us to look at. So, do you exhibit these type of qualities? And if you don't, there's no problem with working on them. It is no problem, but remember, your gift should be easy. It should be just really easy thing to do. We'll continue on with the Jerusalem Council next week. Worship team, come on up as we close.